Pope Francis undergoes surgery in Rome. How serious is his condition? Robert Royal is here with an update. He's one of the world's preeminent canon lawyers and the former head of the Vatican's high court. Raymond Cardinal Burke is here to talk about the protection and defense of the Holy Eucharist and his new book, Respecting the Body and Blood of the Lord. And the L.A. Dodgers are making headlines by honoring a controversial LGBTQ group best known for mocking the Catholic Church. Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas is here about his active role and prayerful stand against the honor. Finally, we pay tribute to the retired bishop of the El Obeid Diocese in Sudan, Makram Max Gassis, who passed away this week at the age of 84. The world over begins right now. Now, Raymond Arroyo. A warm welcome to all of you joining us in the United States and the world over. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send me a tweet. I'm at Raymond Arroyo. First, some news. Pat Robertson, the legendary evangelical broadcaster who led the Christian coalition and sought the GOP presidential nomination in 1988, has died at the age of 93. The Christian Broadcasting Network announced his death on Thursday. Robertson's Christian coalition became a major force in Republican politics in the 1990s, mobilizing conservative voters through grassroots efforts. For over 50 years, Robertson was a familiar presence in American households, best known as host of the 700 Club. Robertson's ventures also included Regent University in Virginia Beach, the American Center for Law and Justice, and the International Human Rights Organization, Operation Blessing. His wife, Didi, who was Catholic, died last year at the age of 94. We wish him the best and may Pat Robertson rest in peace. Mother Angelica, incidentally, got her start in TV on CBN. 86-year-old Pope Francis underwent abdominal surgery on Wednesday. The three-hour procedure to repair a hernia was deemed a success. Chief Surgeon Dr. Sergio Alfieri of the Gemelli Clinic in Rome Brief the public. This afternoon, the Pope arrived to the Gemelli Hospital, Policlinico Gemelli, Università Cattolica, because he had a post-operative hernia with the uh, syndrome of obstructive of the, of the bowel that in the last months caused uh, pains and uh, very often also subocclusive syndrome. So with the other doctors, we decided to proceed to operation we decided in the last days. And uh, during the uh, operation, we found uh, an important uh, um, connection between the, the bowel that, and the peritoneum, and uh, we free all the additions. And then we uh, arrived to perform uh, with the repair, the defect of the hernia in the, in the normal way. The surgical operation and the general anesthesia were well tolerated by the Pope. Now he's awake, he's fine, and he's already at work. Joining me now with an update on what he's hearing from Rome is journalist and editor-in-chief of the CatholicThing.org, 
Papal Posse member Robert Royal. Thank you for being here, Bob. What do we know about the circumstances leading up to the Pope being admitted to the hospital this week? Well, we don't know a lot. I mean, this is sort of typical of the Vatican, that unlike, you know, other institutions, they don't provide a lot of background to what's happening. And, and even when uh, there's been a procedure like there was uh, with the Holy Father this week, they don't give us many details. The, the doctors have given us a little bit in, by way of detail. You know, sometimes I think that the mm -hmm. Vatican is a bit like the old Soviet Union. You know, they used to joke that somebody like Brezhnev was fine until Tchaikovsky started playing only on the radio. They canceled all other, you know, all other broadcasts. I mean, it's not quite that bad. But the, the Holy See is typically, and historically, even with other popes, like to keep these sort of personal things uh, quiet. Uh, one of the surprising things yeah. I thought in the in the news stories was that the Pope apparently had some sort of abdominal surgery in Argentina before he was elected Pope, and that may have played some yeah. role in the, uh, the the hernia that they say he developed in his abdominal wall that was so very painful, and mm -hmm. that this surgery was it's not a, a surgery that's perf performed on an, an emergency basis. It was scheduled well in ahead of time, and we just weren't told about it. Mm. On Tuesday, Vatican spokesman Matteo Bruni uh, announced that the Pope went to the hospital for health checks and returned to the Vatican before midday. Then on Wednesday, the Vatican announced the Pope would undergo surgery to repair this uh, incisional hernia. Why not just announce that the Pope would need surgery after the hospital visit on Tuesday? I mean, does the Vatican comm shop perhaps need an overhaul here? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of complaint, not only about these sorts of, of health questions, but about the lack of coordination uh, in the Vatican in general and in, in its uh, public relations. Mm. So it's not surprising. Uh, maybe they're a little bit more protective of the Holy Father's health, uh, because there have been multiple health scares recently. I mean, in the last month or two, we've had—he had, he had the, the very serious yep. bronchitis and was in the hospital for several days. Um, he, you know, he had that fever that, that forced them to cancel the— um, some, some of his appointments just a few weeks ago. And now this, and I, I get the impression that they schedule this now because apparently it takes six weeks for recovery after a surgery of this kind. And they've been scheduling uh, trips for him to the World Youth Day in Lisbon in early August and then to Mongolia later. Right. So he's got about a little over six weeks, and maybe that's why it's now and they kind of kept it uh, somewhat discreet. Hmm. How serious do you think this is, Bob? I mean, this is this is the Pope's second abdominal procedure in, in Rome, the first in 2021, when Dr. Alfieri performed colon surgery that took a portion of the Pope's colon out. Um, and as you mentioned, there is report of an earlier surgery we never heard about. The Pope's schedule has been cleared through at least June 18th to allow him time to recover from this procedure. But how serious do you think this is? Well, look, an 86-year-old man who has other health problems, um, it, it's serious. Is it, is it dire? I don't think it's that. I think we, we probably would have heard from the doctors if, if there was something more serious than that. But they took out something like 13 inches of his colon in that previous operation. Mm -hmm. And I've actually talked with some friends. I, I in particular, I have, I have a friend who ran a cancer clinic for many years, and she was very concerned about it because she said it sounded to her like there was some sort of tumor, cancer, whatever. They, the Vatican keeps denying this. The Holy Father denies it. The doctors the, in, the, in this recent uh, operation said there was no other pathology present. So maybe there is and maybe there isn't, but it's, 
it's not a small thing. And as we know, the Holy Father has been refusing to get um, knee surgery because he would have to go under general anesthetic, which he had to do for right. this procedure. You know, it's a very tough thing. We know that Cardinal Pell came out of his surgery seemingly okay, and then within a few days had a, had a heart problem and then died. Right. No, no. The complications are really, um, you know, they're, at this age, when you're dealing with patients of this age, complications can come a week, a few days, or a month later. So, uh, you know, we pray the best for the Holy Father and for his recovery. And, Bob, we'll leave it there for now, but you'll be back with us uh, on June 15th with Father Jerry Murray right. and the papal posse convenes for commentary of the USCCB Spring Assembly and much more. Thank you for being here. My pleasure, Raymond. As October's Synod on Synodality nears, there seems to be a determined agenda to alter age-old Catholic teachings on everything from sexuality to liturgical practice. My next guest is the author of an important new book that seeks to re-educate bishops and the laity alike on the sacredness of the Eucharist, respecting the body and blood of the Lord when Holy Communion should be denied. Please welcome back to the program Canon Lawyer, former prefect of the Apostolic Signatura, Raymond Cardinal Burke. Your Eminence, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, Raymond. I'm glad to be with you. Before we get to the book, I need your thoughts on some current issues we're dealing with, we are all dealing with. High on that list, of course, is the Pope's health issues. Um, we are all praying for his speedy recovery. Have you had the opportunity to meet with the Holy Father recently? How does he seem to you, and what are you hearing from those in Rome? No, I haven't had the occasion to meet with him personally or to be in, in close company with him. Uh, I, it, it's clear that the surgery that he had yesterday is a very serious one. Uh, apparently, it all went well, thanks be to God. Uh, those who, uh, who are uh, with the Pope in more direct contact uh, express concern that uh, that there's something uh, that his health isn't uh, isn't good apart from the problem of of his knees uh, but i i don't know anything more than that uh, and as i say i haven't mm -hmm. been in his close company so i can't comment as you say all we can do is pray uh, pray for him yeah uh, and we certainly do that. Your Eminence, next week the U.S. bishops are meeting in Orlando for their annual spring assembly. Um, I imagine you will, won't be attending, uh, and, and I don't imagine you bought uh, a couple of weekend passes to Disney World either. But with all the talk of the Synod on Synodality uh, in the U.S. parishes and all over the world, there is nothing related to the Synod on the agenda next week. Now, some progressive Catholic media are grousing, claiming the bishops are ignoring this papal priority. What is your reaction to this? Well, I think the bishops have done everything that they could. There was this whole process that was uh, organized from the Synod of Bishops in Rome, and from what I can tell, the individual bishops conducted these sessions. They sent in their reports. Uh, I wouldn't know what the bishops would discuss. Uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, there is no clear idea of what synodality is. Uh, it's certainly not a mark of the church. The marks of the church are one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Uh, it, it's unfortunately, as we've seen, or I should say sadly, and uh, we have seen in, 
in Germany, it was a slogan to ad advance just what you mentioned before, namely uh, uh, teachings and practices clearly contrary to the constant teaching and practice of the church. And this has caused mm -hmm. a tremendous uh, harm in Germany and uh, the, uh, the state of the church in Germany is frankly alarming. And uh, this oh. now will seemingly become a program in the universal church uh, by way of the synod, uh, uh, the head of the synod of bishops uh, recently gave an interview in which uh, he seems to indicate that that he doesn't have a clear idea of, of what's going to happen, and uh, or a clear idea of even what synodality is, and uh, yet uh, he's going forward leading this uh, this process, and of course the president of the session of the Synod on Synodality, uh, Cardinal Hallerich from Luxembourg has publicly mm -hmm. espoused uh, uh, teachings and practices that are clearly contrary uh, to what the church has always taught in practice. And, and so these yeah. are uh, matters of the greatest concern. My own personal prayer is every day to our Lord is that somehow uh, he, he makes it so that this synod doesn't take place because I, I can't frankly see any good coming from it. Hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up this, the synod. Uh, Cardinal Mario Grech, who is the general secretary of the Global Synod, he told EWTN News recently that despite what we are hearing, the synod does not have an agenda other than the gospel. Now, given the direction of that German synodal way uh, that you referenced a moment ago, the push for ordaining women, uh, blessing of same-sex unions, and other clear departures from Catholic teaching, what do you make of Greg's assertion here that there is no agenda? Do you believe that? Do others you speak to in Rome, uh, your cardinal fraternity, do they believe this synod has no agenda? I certainly don't believe it, and a number of, of cardinals and other uh, both the clerics and, and lay Catholics who are very thoughtful and, uh, and very devout members of the body of Christ don't believe it either. Uh, first of all, why would you call together uh, representatives from the, from the universal church uh, uh, to uh, talk about the gospel unless there's some particular aspect of the gospel that you want to address. Uh, and the gospel doesn't come to us except in the uh, tradition of the church. It's handed down to us in the church. And uh, so to say we're gonna talk about the gospel without giving people any clear idea, well, what part of the gospel are we going to talk about? And uh, what has the church taught about this? And how can we uh, apply that, that teaching in our own time? Uh, but not, this is not the case. People are being called together and just asked to, to say what's on their mind, uh, and, and they, they do. But as one man who took part in a, a diocesan process told me, he said, I was in a, a little discussion group, and people were talking about about the divorce and the remarried and talking about the environment and talking about immigration and and all kinds of things in a, in a random way, a, a kind of, uh, uh, what do you call it, a smorgasbord of, 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 <laughs> of issues uh, that they have on their minds. 
And he said, I was the last one to speak. And he said, I, I said, well, I always thought that the church was about the salvation of souls. And he said, everyone just looked at him as if he had arrived from Mars. Well, <laughs> this is the problem. Uh, and all of these issues are important. All of them need to be discussed, but in a in a in a clear way, in a way related very clearly to the the, the church's teaching, and uh, and simply to invite people to say how they feel uh, about various things is 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 not a good idea. And uh, in, in mm -hmm. fact, it, it only hurts people. Uh, builds up expectations in them that somehow their feelings, which could be right or wrong, uh, and mm -hmm. feelings have always to be measured against the teaching of Christ and his church. Uh, yeah. If their feelings aren't aren't realized, uh, then they're hurt and they think they were promised something that's now not being delivered. Uh, and so it's a, it, it's a very distressing situation. I, I, I have, I'm very sad about it and and just hoping and praying. We know our Lord is always ultimately in charge in the church, and we pray that he will uh, make all this right. Yeah. Uh, Your Eminence, I, I need your take on something else that uh, is in the news this week. It's being attributed to Cardinal Pietro Parolin, um, the Secretary of State. Uh, Massimo Fagioli tweeted this out earlier this week. Now, the quote comes from a preface written by Paroline in a recently published book. Quote, homosexual orientation cannot be considered either cause or aspect typical of the abuser. Linking sexual offense and homosexuality is a serious and scientifically unsustainable association, end quote. He's talking there about the clerical sex abuse problem. Um, Your Eminence, your thoughts on the Secretary's, Secretary of State's assertion, uh, bearing in mind that the preponderance of clergy sex abuse cases, over 80 percent since 1950, were male on male. Uh, the assertion is simply false. And uh, the, uh, there are scientific studies that have been done to show that uh, uh, a good part, I don't know what the exact percentage would be, of the acts of uh, abuse of, of minors by adults are homosexual acts and committed mostly with 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 adolescents with or, or uh, young men. Uh, and that also has been my experience as a bishop with cases of abuse. Uh, there, there have been those rare cases of, of true pedophilia, of abuse of a small child, uh, uh, but most of them are, are simply uh, homosexual acts. They result in homosexual acts, and one has to think that, that someone suffers from this tendency and therefore, and, and then acts on it uh, instead of seeking help and, and may God's grace, especially to overcome temptations to sin in this way, uh, seeks to express this uh, this orientation or this this direction by uh, abusing uh, a young male. So I, I I can't imagine on what the the, the cardinal secretary of state is basing himself to to make such an assertion. Mm. 
Cardinal Burke, I want to get your thoughts on the current state of restrictions on the traditional Latin Mass, and this will lead us to the discussion of your new book. Um, Pope Francis said last month that the restrictions are there because, in his estimation, the traditional Latin Mass is being used in a, quote, ideological way. Is that an accurate assessment of what you've seen as a bishop, and whether in La Crosse or in uh, Europe? No, it is not. I'm, uh, I have to say, uh, I know many traditional Catholics individuals and also many oratories and congregations. I've visited them. I've taken part in uh, solemn masses and also in meetings with the faithful. And they're not at all ideological. In fact, they uh, uh, generally are very faithful Catholics. Uh, many young people, not yet married, mm -hmm. young people are married, young couples with many children, also older people. But they they love the church and they simply find spiritually uh, very nourishing the more ancient usage of the Roman rite. And as one bishop said to me, who is not an enthusiast for the for the extraordinary form of the Usus Antiquia? He said to me, uh, he has a rather large in the Sea City, a rather large congregation, and he said, these are, are faithful Catholics. Uh, they have the greatest respect and love for me as bishop. They they cooperate fully with me and support me in in, in what I'm doing, uh, and they find spiritually very helpful to them spiritually very nourishing, mm. the uh, the more ancient usage of the Roman rite, why should that be denied to them? Uh, and yeah. and that, is, uh, that, I think, is the question. And pe people say, well, these are people who are all opposed to the teaching of the Second Vatican Council. I haven't found that. Your Eminence, this is a great segue to your new book, Respecting the Body and the Blood of Our Lord, When Holy Communion Should Be Denied. Earlier this year, you sent a form of this book to the U.S. clergy and the bishops as a backgrounder, if you will, on when it might be appropriate to withhold communion. What kind of response did you receive from the clergy and the bishops who read it? Uh, the responses were generally sent to the uh, apostolate Catholic Action for Faith and Family who had sent out the, mm -hmm. the book. Some individual uh, priests and bishops uh, uh, thanked me personally. Uh, I understand from uh, um, uh, from uh, Thomas McKenna, who is the uh, president of Catholic Action for Faith and Family, that a number of bishops wrote to thank him. And, and he said those that didn't uh, uh, were critical of the books, saying that it was uh, critical of Pope Francis. Well, there's nothing in the book about Pope Francis uh, to criticize him. It's simply a presentation of what has been the teaching of the church with regard to the worthy reception of Holy Communion since the time of, mm. of St. Paul in the first letter to the Corinthians. In the introduction, you begin by writing the following. During the 2004 United States presidential election campaign, some bishops found themselves under question by other bishops regarding the application of Canon 915 of the Code of Canon Law. In the case of Catholic politicians who publicly, after admonition, continue to support legislation favoring pro procured abortion and other legislation contrary to the natural moral law. The discussion among the bishops 
uncovered a fair amount of serious confusion regarding the discipline of Canon 915. First of all, the denial of Holy Communion was repeatedly characterized as the imposition of a canonical penalty, when in reality it plainly articulates the responsibility of the minister of Holy Communion, ordinary or extraordinary, to deny Holy Communion to those who obstinately persevere in manifest grave sin. Cardinal Burke, what was the source of confusion among bishops, and does it persist today? Well, I, I believe that it does. Um, uh, the source of the confusion, uh, as far as I'm concerned, was a failure to consider what the act of receiving Holy Communion uh, is. Now, there are three uh, subjects involved in that act. First of all, it, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is really present in the, in the, in the sacred host. Uh, number two, the, the person who is approaching to receive uh, our Lord in Holy Communion, and number three, the rest of the faithful who uh, see uh, the public act of approaching to, uh, to receive Holy Communion. And so uh, the church has always taught, as St. Paul did uh, in the first letter to Corinthians chapter 11, that the, first of all, the Eucharist is truly the body and blood of Christ. And so we must, above all things, above everything, uh, respect our Lord and his real presence. Uh, and number two, that the person who uh, approaches to receive Holy Communion, therefore, must recognize the body and blood of Christ. And if I'm publicly and obstinately uh, continuing in grave sin, uh, it, it, I must not recognize the body and blood of Christ if I'm going up to receive it, or if I do recognize it, then I'm sinning gravely, committing a sin of sacrilege, which, of course, uh, endangers the eternal salvation of the soul. So the, 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 the discipline of the church is very concerned about the danger of, of the sin of sacrilege. Then the third uh, subject are the faithful who observe persons who are, because these are public acts known by everyone, for instance, the support of procured abortion, uh, the support of euthanasia, the support of, uh, mm -hmm. of uh, unions uh, between two people of the same sex, uh, other gravely sinful acts. They see this, uh, the, these officials approaching to receive Holy Communion and, they, and being given Holy Communion, and they raises the question in their mind, well, these must not be grave sins if they uh, are approaching to receive Holy Communion, or, or maybe it raises a question in their mind that Christ is really and truly present under the, under the species of the sacred host. The other uh, well, confusion which entered in uh, was that uh, some argued they say, well, that's the responsibility of the person who's coming up to receive Holy Communion. And if he if he or she comes up to receive Holy Communion, it should be given. It's not the, the minister's part to uh, decide whether communion should be given or not. But th that's a confusion of two canons. Canon 916 uh, treats the responsibility of each communicant to uh, mm -hmm. examine his own state, and then to approach to receive communion, or uh, and, and Canon 915, which has to do with the responsibility of the of the minister of Holy Communion. 
Uh, right, and, and tell us, uh, your, your, your eminence, that, uh, tell us what 915, Canon 915, requires of the minister himself. I mean, it doesn't really matter whether the individual is prepared or not. That's a, that's a separate matter. That's an internal matter. But now the minister has his own responsibility under Canon 915. What is that? That responsibility is to respect the body of Christ, of which he is the minister, uh, and also to, to, to safeguard the recipient from a sacrilegious act and to safeguard the community from the scandal caused by sacrilege, uh, especially in this most sacred aspect of our faith, the most sacred belief in, in, the, in, the, in the Holy Eucharist. Uh, and, and so once the person has been admonished, uh, the claim can be made, well, these people don't realize that uh, supporting abortion is a grave sin. Well, the the priest are, uh, is to admonish the person uh, about the gravity of the sin which he, he or she is committing and, and, and advise them do not uh, approach to receive Holy Communion. And then, if, notwithstanding that, they they brazenly come forward to receive Holy Communion, then he's required to deny deny Holy Communion. I've heard it said that um, denial of Holy Communion is politicizing the communion rail. Um, it's still said and articulated that way. Uh, is that what's happening here? Uh, is this the politicization of the communion rail and the communion uh, uh, process, or is it merely the solemn duty of the bishop and any minister of communion? It, it's the latter. It's what you, you just said. It has nothing to do with politics. Uh, we uh, must respect the body and blood of Christ, recognize and respect the body and blood of Christ in, in, in all mm -hmm. situations. And it, whether there's some, some people interpret politically or not, that doesn't make any difference. What our duty is, is to uh, make sure that, uh, that the body and blood of our Lord is being respected and being received uh, in, in an edifying and worthy manner. Hmm. In the book, which is really an indispensable resource on this subject, you trace what the late Pope Benedict XVI called the perennial church teaching far back into church history. You reference the church fathers, the great saints, John Paul II, you mentioned St. Paul. To remind readers just what it means to be worthy to receive communion, how has the church responded to this issue in the past? And what are some striking parallels between uh, controversies today and those experienced previously? Well, the the church simply, when there was a, an, an individual, for instance, in the case of St. Paul, there were these people who were uh, acting in a, in a publicly sinful way and then approaching to receive Holy Communion almost in a casual way. And he, he, he simply declared to them, you're eating in, in your own condemnation, your own eternal damnation. It, it was very forceful about it and put a stop uh, to what was going on. Your Eminence, the first chapter is really the foundation of the whole book. It lays out what, what's so special and significant about the Blessed Sacrament and Holy Communion itself. Have we become too blasé about the reality of the sacrament and uh, the remembrance of who the Eucharist is rather than what? Yes, I think for for various reasons, uh, the the, sub, the sublime reality of the Eucharist uh, ha, has been obscured, and I do believe that 
that many today uh, take a casual approach to the Holy Eucharist, receiving Holy Communion, which is which is which is wrong, which is inappropriate, is not fitting. Uh, we should, as St. Paul instructs us, every time that we're going to receive Holy Communion, we should examine our conscience um, and uh, be sure that we are uh, ready to receive Holy Communion. And of course, the normal practice also is frequent confession in order to be in the state of grace, to be properly disposed to, re to receive Holy Communion. But uh, they're developed, and in, in even in the time when I was a young priest in 1975, uh, I was ordained, uh, there was this uh, idea that, well, if you go to church, you receive Holy Communion. But in fact, the fact of the matter is that when I was growing up, that wasn't the presumption at all. And uh, many people didn't receive communion uh, on Sunday, and and people respected that. I never remember there being any discussion about why wouldn't so-and-so receive Holy Communion. Uh, also, there was a longer Eucharistic fast, and sometimes people simply weren't hadn't observed the fast. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, now there's now there is the idea that if you're in church. If you're at Mass, you should receive Holy Communion, even uh, in some of the arguments that were used uh, about uh, uh, denying Holy Communion to people. It was called an offense against their right, that they have the right to receive Holy Communion. No, no one has the right to receive Holy Communion. Uh, one can be properly disposed, and that our Lord gives us this great gift. We could never claim we have a right to receive our, our, our Lord and Holy Communion. Uh, so I do I do believe that, um, that this, the, there needs to be a very strong and rich catechesis again. And then also the practices which were in place in the past to show respect for Holy Communion. Uh, for instance, when I was a boy uh, serving Mass, and it would be in the 50s, 1950s, we were never permitted to even touch the chalice or the paten because they had mm -hmm. the host had rested on the paten, the sacred blood had been in, precious blood had been in the, in the chalice. And of course, no one would have thought of going near the tabernacle. And these were all ways in which it was communicated to us uh, the, the sacredness of, of the Holy Eucharist. Finally, Your Eminence, what do you want readers to take away from respecting the body and blood of the Lord, your new book? And why isn't more time, do you think, spent by priests and bishops and catechesis truly helping people understand the reality of the Holy Eucharist? My goal would be that, that people come to a, a deeper appreciation, a more lived appreciation of the truth that the sacred host is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest gift which he has given to us in the church is St. Thomas Aquinas said it contains the whole good of our salvation. So I would hope that they that they would the book would contribute to that and then contribute to the practice of preparing oneself uh, appropriately uh, in order to receive Holy Communion. Uh, being mm -hmm. taking care to uh, be in the state of grace uh, and, 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 and also to recognize, as St. Paul says, the body and blood of Christ and, and, and therefore to approach reverently uh, to receive yeah. our, our Lord and Holy Communion. Respecting the body and blood of the Lord when Holy Communion should be denied by Raymond Cardinal Burke is available at bookstores and online, including EWTN's catalog, 
from Sophia Press. Your Eminence, thank you for being here and for the time. Oh, you're welcome, Raymond. Thank you very much. On Friday, June 16th, Catholics will process in prayer from the Cathedral of Our Lady, Queen of the Angels in Los Angeles, to Dodger Stadium in reparation for the offenses committed by the anti-Catholic drag queen nuns known as the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The group will be honored by the Dodgers during their Pride Night. Joining me to discuss this and much more, the Most Reverend Joseph Strickland, Bishop of Tyler, Texas. He will be incidentally leading this procession of prayer to Dodger Stadium. Your Excellency, thank you for being here. The Dodgers made headlines last month when they first invited this anti-Catholic group uh, to honor, to be honored at a Pride Night game. After protests from the Catholic League and other groups, the drag queens were disinvited. But when the LGBT community protested, the Dodgers reinvited the drag queen groups. Uh, now, this group openly mocks the church in blasphemous ways. What was your reaction to the Dodgers when you saw this swing back to their initial invitation to honor these people? Well, um, very disappointed isn't strong enough word, just really uh, a shock that they would buckle to, sadly, the, the, the power voices of our time that are not about the truth, but about an agenda that really is evil. I think we have to call it evil, not calling persons evil, because we can all be redeemed. We're all sinful, but um, this event is evil, and it's it's certainly anti-Catholic, um, but I think that's sort of a, a badge of honor for us as Catholics because really it's anti-Christian, and it reminds people that the Catholic Church is the beacon of Christianity or should be in the world. So mm -hmm. I know it's devastating to many, and I, I responded when Catholics for Catholics invited me to participate in this procession, a procession of prayer. Um, I said yes, because we need to, with clarity and charity, speak the truth, not attacking anyone, but simply standing and saying, don't attack our Lord Jesus Christ and these wonderful women that are so humble and beautiful throughout the world and in this nation. The women religious are some of our unsung heroes, and for them to be mocked uh, along with our Lord himself, it's just we have to speak up against it. Uh, I was going to ask you, how did you decide to lead this Eucharistic procession, which falls on the Feast of the Sacred Heart? And why you? You're the Bishop of Tyler, Texas, not Los Angeles. Well, uh, really, Raymond, I don't have the answers to all of that. I just know I was invited by Catholics for Catholics to come. And I said, well, it's going to be difficult. But they said, well, we'll help you make it happen. And I said, well, if it's supposed to happen, then I'm open to it. Um, and there, there were some glitches with letting Archbishop Gomez know that I was coming. But finally, that did happen. And, uh, you know, all I can speak for is the Sacred Heart devotion has been significant since I was a child for my own journey. So the fact that it's on the Feast of the Sacred Heart and what this prayer procession is about, when they asked me, my response was, uh, sure, I'll participate. Um, you, you say that I'm leading it. I, I'm glad, too, if that's what's happening. I just said, I'll be there if I can. Um, 
And I think mm -hmm. that we we need to just cut through some of the confusion and the noise and just remember who we are. I'm called to mm -hmm. be a successor of the apostles. I'm in a small diocese in a corner of Texas, but I was invited and I said, well, if we, we can make it happen, I'm glad to join in this prayerful procession. Uh, it's not a protest, but it's simply praying in reparation and praying for all those who are caught up in this false messaging that is just overwhelming the world and sadly, even very significantly overwhelming the church. Hmm. There have been several bishops who have been outspoken about the Dodgers' decision uh, here. Uh, Bishop Robert Barron, Archbishop Salvador Cordelioni, who was on our show last week, Bishop Donald Hying, and others. Uh, w will there be other Catholic bishops joining in this procession of prayer, or do you know, uh, Bishop? I don't know. I hope so. Um, it isn't an easy day for bishops to be there because the bishops' meeting is on the other coast in Orlando. Um, but mm -hmm. they managed to to make it possible for me to be there. I hope that other bishops will join us because the the people need their shepherds uh, leading them. And, you know, I'm one bishop, but uh, I believe that I, I need to be there and I'm, I'm glad to be there. I know many people are praying that the event will have the, the positive effect that I know the organizers wanted to have in reparation mm -hmm. for the blasphemies, and just to change hearts back to Christ mm -hmm. on the feast of his sacred heart. Yeah. Uh, Bishop, I, I, you know, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, I mean, having lived in New York City and, and, and Washington, D.C., uh, and, and New York, uh, you know, you see this group over many years I've seen them. I mean, they engage in all sorts of kind of blasphemous dances. They do mock nuns and religious figures, Jesus and Mary. I mean, I can't even show viewers video of this group because, I mean, it, it, it you know, it only extends the blasphemy. Um, I, I, my question to you is if other groups engaged in this kind of mockery of religion and key religious figures, like Muhammad um, or Moses, uh, do you think we'd be seeing the Dodgers reinviting them for an honor like this or tributing them in any way? I don't think so. Um, I think uh, certainly, I'm, as I mentioned already, I'm glad that this is totally without violence or attack of anyone. It's a prayerful procession. That's how we need to operate as disciples of Jesus Christ. We oppose mm -hmm. what's false but we do so with love and charity and calling hearts back to the truth. But as you allude to, Raymond, I think other religious groups might not react with the passivity that we are. We're, we're sometimes too passive as Christians, but I think this is the right balance of acting, but acting in love and in prayerful humility. Um, but other groups might well, uh, and, and frankly, in the world we live in, violence speaks. And I think other groups are probably hands off because there's a history of sometimes violent reactions to some of the blasphemies toward other religious leaders. Um, we know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And so I think mm -hmm. we, we need to seek his model as we react as he did 
He was mocked in his own incarnate life here. He was spat upon. He was beaten to the end of his life. And then, of course, he died on the cross. We have to take him as the, the quiet model that stands for the truth, doesn't back down, but always does so with great humility, um, especially in this month of June. We need that humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Any idea how many people will be participating in this prayerful procession? And what are you hoping will be the result of this as you all march toward uh, Dodger Stadium next Friday? I have no idea really how many will participate. Hopefully, uh, many people uh, will take the time to be there to honor the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus Christ and also to pray in reparation. And, and really the result I would hope for is as many hearts as possible. I, I know there are committed Catholic, faithful Catholic people who are disheartened and weakened by all that we're seeing in the world and all the confusion and all the ambiguity. I hope their hearts are strengthened. And I hope and pray that hearts are converted, that maybe people there, maybe even some of these participating directly in this sacrilegious presentation, um, maybe through prayerful uh, action and through loving reparation, uh, God can change all of our hearts, and all of our hearts need to grow closer to the Lord and His truth. We're all in need of ongoing conversion, and I think we always have to humbly approach something like this in that way. But my hope would be for hearts that are with Christ to be deepened in Him, to be stronger in His love, and for those that have wandered into darkness and sin, that they will be converted or reconverted to the light that Christ brings. He's the light of the world. Yeah. Uh, Bishop, I am startled, uh, not that this group is being honored, but that they're being honored by the Dodgers, a group that, you know, uh, I knew Tommy Lasorda. He was a family friend, uh, the <laughs> longtime manager of the Dodgers, who was a, a, a fervent um, uh, Catholic uh, would never have put up with this. Vince Scully, of course, who was associated with the Dodgers for, you know, most of his life, um, again, a, a very faithful Catholic man. It, it is amazing to me that the organization has gone out of its way to salute a group that mocks and ridicules the deeply held faith of the men who helped build this organization. I'll give you the last word. Well, Raymond, I think what you alert, allude to is, sadly, we, we're seeing it in every aspect of society. Uh, corporations that were founded on good American values and, and hard work and providing uh, quality products and all. I mean, it seems the whole society is caught up in this. And it, it truly is evil. I think we have to call it evil. Once again, calling out these things as evil doesn't label any individual as evil. And, and God loves all of us. God loves every person that will be on any side of what happens at Dodger Stadium, those in the procession and those who may be blaspheming him. That's, that's the wonder of our merciful God. He allows us. I mean, there are consequences that will come if we continue to blaspheme. But he gives us that freedom always his hope and the, the life of his son is directed toward bringing us to his truth and to his life and grace 
and he gives us chance after chance to do so. So I think we have to let ourselves be rejoice in the God that we know in his mercy and compassion and that we honor him and his son by doing all we can to stand for the truth. Bishop, we will leave it there. The prayerful procession to Dodger Stadium with Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler will take place Friday, June 16th in Los Angeles, starting at the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels. Some sad news to report. Retired Bishop Makram Max Gassis of Sudan died on June 4th in Pennsylvania at the age of 84. Bishop Gassis was a frequent guest of this program and a tireless champion of the persecuted people of his beloved El Obeid diocese in Sudan. Bishop Gassis was born in Khartoum in 1938. He was ordained a priest in Rome in 1964, a member of the Kamboni Missionaries of the Heart of Jesus. He became bishop of the El Obeid diocese in 1988. Just two years after he became bishop, Gassis was exiled from his home country after facing threats to his life. Despite being exiled, he fearlessly continued working on behalf of his people, risking his life to raise funds and minister to them on numerous missions to and from Sudan. Bishop Makram retired in 2013, but continued his humanitarian work on behalf of his flock in Sudan. A humble and gentle man, he was no less a fierce defender of his people and the injustices committed against them were his great heartbreak. His funeral will be held on June 13th at St. Teresa's Catholic Church in New Cumberland, Pennsylvania. Here are a few moments of Bishop Makram Gassis from his appearances on The World Over, and it'll give you some insight into his mission, his heart for his people. Watch. My next guest is the bishop of the El Obeid Diocese in the Nuba Mountains of Sudan. He lives partly in exile, and he spends his time raising awareness about the persecuted people in his home diocese. Indiscriminate bombing by the Khartoum regime in the north continued to exact an horrific human toll, and it has disrupted the lives of his flock. Here to share the latest from the region is Nobel Peace Prize nominee Bishop Makram Gassis. Thank you. Delighted to have you back Thank on you, the Ryan. show. Thank you. Let's start with the third year of fighting, which is underway. And your people have been subjected to this by the Sudan regime in the north, Khartoum. Why are they attacking so voraciously this group of animist and Christian people in the Nuba Mountains? What is the, the reason for this assault? The reason is to subjugate this part of Sudan, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I call it, a cushion between Sudan and the Republic of South Sudan. Mm. Uh, this is an African ethnic group that they want to keep their identity, they want to keep their values, and Khartoum wants them to be under the North so that they can follow the policies of the North to Arabize them, that's the system, and to Islamize them. And of course, the people said no. So it is, it is, it is racial, above all. Mm. But within this racial uh, situation, they are also avid to take the oil and the minerals from the from the Nuba Mountains. Now you have long referred to this as a cultural genocide. Some have described it in the media as a conflict between the the Islamic North 
and the Christian and animist South. Which is it? What is it? And do you stand by that comment that this is a cultural uh, 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 genocide? Uh, these people who, who say, denies what I am stating, mm -hmm. can they prove it to me? I mean, let, let's talk mm -hmm. now logically. What proofs do they have to contradict what I have been saying? Mm -hmm. They don't have anything. They are talking off their hats because they think that they are experts on the issue of the Sudan, mm -hmm. and maybe they have worked in the Sudan for one week or for one month, and they come here in the United States and say, we are experts on the situation mm -hmm. of the Sudan, and they are not. They know nothing about the Sudan. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking them kindly not to give wrong interpretations through the media or otherwise, mm -hmm. and let the people fight for their cause with those who are ready to help them uh, to get what they want. So you said it was racially motivated, partially. Is yes. it religiously motivated? It is. It is. Of course it is. Because uh, if they attack the churches, destroy our institutions, what, why? Mm -hmm. If it is a mere fight between Khartoum government and the so-called liberation movement who are fighting for their land, fighting for their identity, mm -hmm. uh, why are they attacking the church? Why the church is targeted? I want to show people some images. There are foxholes being dug all over your diocese. Yes. Bombs are consistently falling, and I want to show you these images. This is, you can see the people standing next to these holes. Tell us what's happening and how they're coping with a constant bombardment at any time of the day. You see, Raymond, the people are faced with three solutions. Mm -hmm. Either to have to run and to go across to southern Sudan mm -hmm. and be refugees. 200,000 of them have already exactly, taken that path. Yes. Or they have to stay within their father's land and find the solution to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Or just live the ordinary life in their villages and say whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. Now, these people became also familiarized on how to defend their lives, not only by living in caves, mm -hmm. but uh, they can live their normal life, but they can dig these foxholes, and whenever they hear that anton of bomber coming, they just go in. We did it also for our schools now. Mm. We did it you for see our the people, hospital. Their heads sticking out of these exactly. foxholes. Exactly. This, this is our institute for education, mm -hmm. for the formation of teachers and for catechists. Now, the sister in charge, she is from Australia. Whenever she hears the, the plane, she has a whistle. She would whistle. And all the students must go inside this. And what happens? The, the MiG fighter jets start moving in. How do they know that it's that it's uh, a, a lethal attack and not just a plane going over, flying overhead? Well, people by now they have formed a kind of of uh, uh, an awareness, an awareness. Mm. You know, they know the sound that is flying over. Mm -hmm. It's not a peaceful plane. Mm. So now the Antonov is being used. Oh, wow. will be used to drop bombs. But in addition to that, Khartoum now is using uh, jet planes, you know, mm -hmm. to go and, and, and bomb the people. Now, these are some graphic images we're going to share with yes. you here. Um, I, I, I hesitated and wrestled with showing them to you, but I think it's important, uh, given the gravity of what's happening on the ground in Sudan, and to help you fully understand uh, the consequences of this ongoing bombardment. We're talking about defenseless people in villages who live in, in, in huts, they have their small farms, and, and, and the, the few meager institutions that have been allowed to stand, like the churches, your hospital, a few schools. Other than that, this place is 
really looking like, like something out of science fiction, and the brutality being delivered upon your people. And you can see in these images, I mean, uh, limbs being blown off, dead people lying next to trees, babies piled up. This must break your heart when you go home and see this. It, it not only breaks my heart, but it increases my anger. Mm -hmm. I, I, I always say, if Christ got so angry at the merchants in the temple and he kicked them out, I don't see why I cannot get angry and, and, and defend my people who are the target of senseless bombing. Innocent people, children, look at our children, burned by the bombs. We're going to have to leave it there, Archbishop uh, Gassiz. Look, I'm promoting you, Archbishop. Thank Bishop you. Gassiz, thank, thank you. you so much for being here. Bishop Makram Gassiz, you will be missed. Rest in peace, my friend. God bless you. That is all the time we have for now. Be sure to catch us next week. Until then, we'll be scouting the world over for all that is seen and unseen. On behalf of the staff and crew of EWTN News, thank you for watching. I'm Raymond Arroyo. Bye now.